Welcome to the weekly segment of ESG Now. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week I'm joined by Matt Muscardi and Rick Marshall to discuss the news with an ESG twist. And for this week, we're going to wade into how ESG and the unfolding U.S. trade war with China are connected. And then we are going to discuss Amazon's problematic employee relations tactics and how it might be related to their robotics investments. Stay tuned. So this week, we're finally going to tackle the trade war. It was further escalated this week when the Trump administration slapped a $200 billion U.S. dollar increase in tariffs on Chinese goods. But it's been going on for some time. However, at first, we were, we were like, I don't want to tackle this from an ESG perspective because it can be taken in so many different ways. But let's do it. Rick, is it fair for me to start off and say this is a problem for the company's execs to solve? And if so, how? Absolutely. Companies can struggle with this operationally or as part of their business model and try to adapt, but they can also participate in this from a political perspective and lobby, as they do in other areas. Hmm. Politically engage, demand change, uh, protest, uh, you know, all those other kinds of activities that have nothing to do with their their commercial practice, with their operational um, um decision-making, but rather have to do with their relationship to the world politically. That almost is like Larry Fink's letter, right? It's like it's like the corporation as citizen and, um, and the responsibilities and the roles that corporations can then play as citizens to not further just their own interests, but to, f- to sort of act in the interest of some you know, whatever greater good they're part of, whether it's a socio-ecological system, some, some system, right. Um, but that's kind of a fascinating way to think of it because in a way the, the act of lobbying is something, um, that's thought of particularly in ESG circles or by ESG investors, influence peddling and, um, and and a negative and, right. And, and and that's sort of fascinating to think of it as a solution to um, something at this scale, the, the complexity of it, and the and the and the problems that it causes for companies and consumers. Is it's an answer? It's actually an answer. It's not a negative. That's right. That's right. I, I, I that was that struck me as as I was saying that. That's exactly what struck me is that wow, this really puts lobbying in a different perspective, doesn't it? Because we normally think of it as a way that companies uh, interact with the with the the government or the local political machine in order to gain an advantage, a competitive advantage. Um, but you know, in this instance, they would be arguing in favor of eliminating a competitive disadvantage. You might you might say, um, and there's a number of different ways to to look at it. But in effect, you're, what you said is exactly right. They're looking to answer a problem um, rather than to create an artificial advantage. They're they're hoping to eliminate an artificial disadvantage, and that's what the tariffs are. They're an artificial disadvantage that is being imposed by one political group on another political group. Um, and yet, again, we're, we're back to where I started. The complexity is such that nobody gets, nobody gets away without being impacted. Everybody gets hurt. Yeah, but does that 
in a way make it I mean I think there's an issue here with you know when the elephants fight the grass suffers and so the people in the communities and the people that rely on companies i.e. everyone is going to be in trouble but when we look at companies and we assess them is it just the fact that their bottom line is now going to be affected there's going to be either people that have more expensive inputs or they lose trading partners or they have more expensive end products and consumers are move away from them in favor of something else is it just fair to say that the bottom line is all that matters here yeah, I mean, I think the there's an obvious bottom line implication here. Uh, but to to Rick's point, I mean, there, I think there's one big ESG angle, which is the role of a corporation in society. And you know, lobbying is actually this sort of ironic twist. I think that I think Rick's right about that. Um, but f- we've actually talked about this for years um, with Brexit and with you know the unfolding trade wars and and these kinds of things what the ESG angle is and 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 honestly outside of sort of what does a corporation do in society how does it kind of represent its society we haven't landed on a good ESG answer and that's kind of the, just, just the honest truth which means it's interesting to watch to see how it unfolds For our second story, Amazon is investing in more packing robots, and they are going to eliminate a 1,000 jobs at their facilities. Matt, could you walk me through this conflict between high-tech robots and labor management, please? I mean, isn't this just the, the tension that's sort of existed forever between technology and employees? I, I think the irony here is that all investors, like ESG or not, they they push for technological progress, but ESG investors get caught between sort of disruption, this tech disruption in what it means for employees, how to balance those two things. And Amazon is like the living embodiment of that tension. They're basically a giant efficiency-seeking machine. So really, actually, my question would be, at what point does the system break? Like, at what point do you put so much pressure on the humans in the system that the backlash costs more than the possible efficiency gains? You're talking about a stool with two legs. <laughs> you know, the two legs of the stool that you've been arguing back and forth about are, are, are shareholders, owners, investors versus employees. The third leg of the stool, and, and often they're, these are all the same, our customers. Hmm. Um, this is the the ba- basic economic question here. Is really not how do we treat our employees. It's how do we create a balance system where we have enough customers to buy our goods that we have a business that's viable in terms of generating shareholder value. And what happens now, Matt and Rick, when Amazon saves? a massive amount in resources, and then they cut a massive amount of jobs. Give me the ESG take on that. Well, I think it's what, Rick, what Rick's saying, right? Like the stool breaks. Um, but how do we But how do we rate them? Do we say, are we looking at how the stool is fitting when we're rating this company? Yeah, I think that's sort of the point of an ESG 
rating that balances all of the, these things. I mean, it's sort of like a system view, right? We look at like innovation quotient, we look at consumer trends, or we look at the governance of the company as a system. Uh, we look at, you know, how that or whether a company is sort of an outlier given socioeconomic realities. It, it all gets built into the rating in a lot of ways. And it's sort of like the same as it, when Walmart announced, because they announced the, like yesterday, or two days ago, or maybe last week, that they were moving to one-day shipping to compete with Amazon. And Walmart and Amazon are basically seeking sort of the same efficiencies in in a way that actually might disrupt, uh, to Rick's point, balance. And that's, I guess, what the rating tries to capture. But Rick, you know, using your analogy of the stool, isn't there, is there kind of like a fourth leg we're missing? Or not missing in, in the rating so much as missing in the conversation. Like regulators feel like maybe they're the fourth leg because effectively they've lot, let a lot of these labor issues continue despite the fact that, you know, the system sort of provides infrastructure and labor that favors company growth. And, and thinking out loud on it, it just feels like there's a limit to you know, the limit to the ESG rating is effectively we can have a holistic view, but sometimes all we can kind of do is just outline the legs of the stool. It, it is. It is. And I and I think that I think that the best we can do is to raise the issue and do the analysis and, and come to the conclusions that this may be, you know, something that someone needs to look at. That really is the best we can do in terms of rating the company. We can talk about their exposure, and we can talk about their exposure in, in, a, in a macroeconomic sense. And in that context, we can call out these issues. You know, we can say, we, we, I don't think it's appropriate for us to say there's been a regulatory failure in the world, and that's allowed um, Walmart to flourish. But I do think we can say that in the current regulatory env environment, Walmart continues to flourish, if there were changes in that environment, they would be hugely at risk. The Walmart model would fail completely. All right, that's it for the week. I wanted to thank Matt and Rick for joining me to talk about this week's news with an ESG twist. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato. Thank you so much for listening to us. Please rate and review us if you like what you heard or if you didn't like what you heard. We enjoy all feedback. And I'll talk to you next week. Peace. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. 
Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.